When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hybrid American government civics. Welcome to our first test review for our first test uh, in our class this spring. It doesn't really feel like the spring, but this is the spring semester of 2024. Um, all right, so the test review I sent out via ParentSquare. It's also posted on eClass. And just so you know, it is pretty much, for the most part, it's filled out. Okay, now I took one from a past student that had filled it out. So you want to check and make sure you're good and comfortable with what they put. Uh, but for the most part, I, I checked it uh, and what they put uh, was pretty good. Alrighty. So just as a you know, full disclosure type of thing, um, that, just be aware, this is student work. Okay. This is student work. Now I'm going to go over uh, all this stuff. Uh, so if you want to have it available to you, uh, now would be a good time to grab it. Uh, and while you grab it, just as a reminder, the test is on Wednesday, the 17th during, uh, our class period. It's, uh, one of the few times you have to show up, you have to show up for test days, uh, and take that in person with me watching you take it. Uh, everything else can be done, you know, at home, uh, online and all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, anyways, let's get started with the review. All right, the first thing there is the unitary states. And a unitary state is a type of government, and it is one where you have a central, powerful government that is going to, it, it, it's, don't think of this as like a monarchy or anything like that. It's a different thing. Now, I'm not saying a monarchy couldn't be a unitary government, but typically unitary governments are going to be uh, created uh, constitutionally, they're going to um, have some of the things that we see in our government. They might have an executive. They might have a monarch. Okay, there might be a parliament, a congress, whatever it might be. But the bottom line is they're going to have this central government that really dictates to everything else what to do. It could be states. Uh, it could be counties. Whatever it might be. You have the central government telling the the lesser governments, the lesser uh, entities, uh, what to do. Now, the the best example comes from U.S. history. The English, when they were in charge of the colonies, was a unitary state. You had King George in the Parliament over there in England, telling the uh, colonies at the time, "Hey, this is what you're going to do." The colonies had no real power, no real authority. Um, to do what they wanted to. Now, they kind of did, but they got in trouble, and the, the, the English would try and you know, penalize them and tell them what to do. But that's what a, a unitary state is, okay? Uh, some examples are over in Europe nowadays. Uh, the United Kingdom is still pretty much one. Uh, France is one. Spain, they're all um, unitary, Okay. All right. Next up is going to be the philosophers. <clears throat> You've got Hobbes, Locke, 
<clears throat> Montesquieu and Rousseau. Um, and I apologize for the cough. Uh, it, when I met you, I had a sinus infection. I feel much better, but I still got this cough that happens every now and then, and it drives me nuts to cough uh, while I'm trying to talk to y'all. So I do apologize for that. Uh, all right, the philosophers. Uh, first up is Hobbes. Uh, he's famous for writing uh, the Leviathan, uh, and it's just about the it's 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 called the Leviathan because he's concerned about the size of the government. The government he he feels like you can't have a large government. You need to have a a smaller uh, government that is able to take care of the needs of the people, and and it's not so big that it kind of uh, loses itself. Might be the best way to say it. Okay, um, Locke is going to um, come up with the natural rights, and he believes wholeheartedly that the <laughs> natural rights should be protected by the government. That is one of the, the basic jobs of the government is to protect uh, our natural rights. Now, he wrote that the natural rights were life, liberty, and property. Uh, this is something that Jefferson will take and change from property to the pursuit of happiness. Uh, he also writes the social, all these guys really contributed to the social contract. The social contract is just this idea that uh, we all have entered into with our government. And basically, you know, we give up the right to govern ourselves, and they in turn agree to govern us uh, fairly and to protect our natural rights. Uh, Voltaire is on your sheet. Uh, he was big into freedom of speech and religion. Those were the two big issues that he wrote about and was passionate about. Argued that people should have the free speech and argued that people should have free religion. Rousseau, big thing for him is equality among men. Uh, he will contribute to the social contract, uh, the idea, the theory of it. Um, and um, he, you know, uh, he'll write the social contract basically. Finally, Montesquieu. Uh, Montesquieu uh, is going to write, his big thing is the separation of powers. And we see that today with our government uh, in that. So, you know, Montesquieu comes from a time when there was a monarch. All these guys come from the time when there was a monarch. Uh, and that was the government. And the government could, and when I say government, the king, could pass a law in the morning. He could enforce it after lunch and then judge it right before uh, dinner time. So he had all the power. The monarch did. Montesquieu is going to write that that is just too much. No one person should have all that power, all that authority. And so he wrote about the separation of powers and how you should break up the right to, to create, enforce, and judge laws. And lo and behold, what do we have today? Well, we have a legislative branch which writes the law, and that's their job. You have an executive branch which enforces the law, and you have a judicial branch which is going to judge the law. And they have checks on each other so that no one branch can become too powerful. All directly from what Montesquieu wrote uh, about the, um, the what you call it, the, uh, the separation of powers. Okay? Uh, all right. Next up is the documents. You have the Magna Carta, the Petition Rights, and the English Bill of Rights. Uh, the main overarching thing to remember here is that all of these things, all of these documents are going to end up leading to our United States Constitution. Okay, uh, if you put them together, that's really what they're going to do. 
Okay. Uh, the Magna Carta is the first one. It's signed in 1215. Uh, and the big thing here is it takes some power, some authority away from the monarch at the time. Uh, the king at the time was taken by the nobles. He was kind of forced to sign this document where he turned over some of his power, some of the, well, I should say his power, but he agreed that he is going to treat the nobles a little bit fairer uh, and a little bit more as equals. All right. Uh, said that, you know, we won't tax you without representation uh, and some other things uh, that the nobles had wanted to. But it really starts to reduce the power of the king. Uh, the Petition of Rights, uh, another big document, much later on than the, the Magna Carta, much closer to our uh, Constitution. <coughs> so sorry. Uh, it establishes something called the rule of law. Um, and bottom line here is that everybody should be subject to the law. Not, you know, pick and choose, but every person should be um, uh, should be subject to the law. From me to you to the president, whoever it might be. Uh, it also established some things that we'll see in the Bill of Rights eventually. Um, you know, the no quartering of troops, uh, the, the you know search and seizures, uh, and things like that. Finally, is the English Bill of Rights. <clears throat> uh, this is going to come. Uh, a little bit later, and it's the most, uh, the recent one of our documents that we're looking at. Uh, and it's going to basically say, hey, uh, these are the, the, the rights, the liberties that citizens have, and uh, the king and the monarch cannot take away. Uh, and it's going to be very similar, kind of the blueprint for our Bill of Rights. Okay. All right. Uh, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. Hybrid. American government civics. Uh, all right, so we're picking up with the oligarchy. Now, the oligarchy is a form of government where there is a group of people that are running things. Now, this group of people could be picked in a number of ways. It could be the elite. It could be the wealthy. It could be the most educated, uh, whoever it might be. It could be regular people that are picked by the citizens. <clears throat> but an oligarchy is where a small group of people are going to basically uh, run things, okay? Uh, and the example that you're given is Greece. Greece, uh, specifically the city-state of Sparta, uh, had an oligarchy. All right, republic, representative democracy. So we live in a republic. If you pay attention, if you're at school and you pay attention, or just next time you hear the Pledge of Allegiance, you will hear that we pledge allegiance to the Republic, not to the representative democracy. However, at this point in time, we are pretty much in the same thing. Republic slash representative democracy are basically the same thing. Okay. Uh, and you just got to understand that the Republic slash representative democracy, um, it is a situation where we as the citizens, don't make the laws, don't make the policies. Instead, we elect representatives to make decisions for us. Now, we're supposed to still be the center of the government. You know, all the, the power of the government comes through us, flows through us. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, uh, we have these elected officials who make the decisions uh, for us. Okay. Uh, all right. Parliamentary democracy versus presidential democracy. All right, so these are pretty much the same thing. Both parliamentary and presidential democracy have the same setup. <clears throat> there is a Congress or a parliament. 
So basically a body of people that make decisions. And then there is some kind of executive. In our case, we have a president. In the case of the UK, they have a prime minister. All right. Um, so the setup, the format is kind of the same. What you need to remember is the difference. And so the difference is that the uh, parliament picks the prime minister. The people don't have that say-so. They have an indirect say-so in that they get to pick the parliament, but at the end of the day, the parliament people will pick the prime minister. In the presidential democracy, we as citizens get to pick uh, our executive. All right, authoritarian government versus democratic government. Um, So the, the key difference here is that in an authoritarian government, the people have little to no say-so in economics, politics, really anything, okay? Uh, In an authoritarian government, it comes down to whoever that authoritarian ruler is. Uh, Think of a dictatorship, okay, where they make all the decisions. They're going to do everything. They're going to do what they want to. And there's very little citizen participation, citizen voice, citizen say-so in an authoritarian government. In a democratic government, it's all about the people. The stuff, when I say stuff, the government power comes through the consent of the people. It comes from us. We get to elect our, our representatives. Uh, the government, in theory, should be one where, you know, all decisions boil down to, well, what's best for the people? Okay. So the difference between authoritarian government versus democratic government when it comes to citizen participation, there's a lot of citizen participation in direct, uh, excuse me, in democratic. There's not that much in authoritarian government. All right. Direct democracy. Uh, This is where we as citizens would take part in the governing of our country directly, meaning all the issues would be up for us to vote on. Okay, Uh, it doesn't really work the bigger we get. You know, there's 350 million Americans right now. It would be pretty impossible to have all 350 or whatever the voting public would be uh, to take part in every decision that has to be made uh, at the government level. Now, direct democracy works at the smaller levels. So think back to your U.S. history days. The colonial self-government stuff, so the New England town hall meetings and things like that, when there's a couple hundred people, direct democracy works. They can sit down, they can have a discussion because there's so few of them. We can't do that today because there's too many people. Um, Confederation. All right, so confederation is tied to unitary government in that it's the opposite. Okay, so unitary government, you have the central government telling the, uh, the smaller states, colonies, what to do. A confederation is the opposite. That's where the smaller groups of the the colonies would have all the power and the authority, and they would dictate to the the central government what to do. Okay. Uh, Best example is right after we won the American Revolution, we had the Articles of Confederation as our government. That was a confederation. It's in the name, Articles of Confederation. Um, The states... So all 13 states had the power, had the authority, and they really dictated to the central government what they were going to do and what they weren't going to do. All right. So that's what a confederation is. Um, so, it, it, you know, it served its purpose because we were scared. We were fearful uh, of what we just come from, but it really didn't work out. 
All right, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, the big thing is that it was influenced by several philosophers, specifically John Locke with his natural rights. Remember, I said at the beginning of this, this podcast, when we went over the, the philosophers, John Locke had written about the natural rights, life, liberty, and property. And Jefferson is going to take that and put it into the Declaration and write about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So that's a big thing. Okay. Uh, the other thing is Montesquieu and his separation of powers slash checks and balances. Uh, those things uh, <coughs> are pretty big. Uh, and then the overarching, the social contract where you know, everybody's created equal, uh, that's in there. Okay. Uh, that's in the Declaration of Independence. All right. Limited government. So don't think that a limited government is a small government. That's what a lot of people get mixed up with uh, and think, oh, hey, it's just small. Limited government is just a government that is in check meaning there are things the government can't do. They're not all powerful, all authoritative. I don't know if that's a word, but hopefully you get the point. Uh, they have limits placed on them. In our case, the limits are the Bill of Rights. Those are things the government can't take away. They can't do to us. So, you know, free speech. We have free speech. The government can't stop us from saying what we want to say. We can criticize the government. I could say I could get on I could on my podcast right now talk about how I don't agree with the government's decision here, here, and here, and no one's going to come stop me. Now, if I start making threats and things like that, that could be a different issue. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we can criticize, and the government can't stop us. The government can't come in and unlawfully search and seize you. You can't be listening to this thing, uh, going for a walk, and they come and grab you and pat you down, search you, take your cell phone. They can't do that. The Fourth Amendment protects you from that. Okay, so that's what limited government is. Elections in a democratic society. Uh, so we get to pick. And in theory, there should be a peaceful transfer of power uh, with these things. Okay, uh, so, you know, um, we have some elections coming up in this country in the next couple months. Um, we should see peaceful transitions of power in Congress, uh, at the Senate level, at the House level. Um you know, whatever. I don't know what's going to happen with the presidential race, you know, but if there is a change, it should be peaceful. <clears throat> uh, next up is Fidel Castro and an autocratic government. So Fidel Castro, uh, just need to know a little bit of history. He brought um, the kind of autocratic, the one ruler uh, government to Cuba when he took over. All right. All right. Let's take our last break and we'll be back in just a minute. All right. Welcome back and welcome to the final segment of this review. <clears throat> All right. So uh, next up is dem democracy versus monarch. And you just got to understand the big difference here. Uh, a democracy is all about the people. The citizens have a voice. The citizens have a say-so. In a monarchy, typically citizens are not going to have that. And that's one of the big overarching themes of this unit is the different types of government and citizen participation. You know, in a democracy, <clears throat> we as citizens have all kinds of voice. We can go vote. That's our main voice. But we can also contact our congresspeople. They're supposed to listen to us. We can contact our president. They're supposed to listen to us. Okay. Versus a monarchy where, you know, you might get a, a, a seat with the king, the queen, whatever the monarch is at the time. But they don't have to listen to you. They make all the decisions. All right. Popular sovereignty. Uh, this is a this is one of the ideals of our democracy. Uh, and it's a big one. <coughs> And it's that we, as citizens, are the driving force behind our government, okay? Uh, the government gets the rule 
with our consent. They get to make the decisions with our consent. We've elected them, yes. All right, and we've chosen them uh, to make the decisions. But they get to do so with our consent. And that's what popular sovereignty is. Uh, if you think back, once again, to U.S. history, sorry, we'll do this a lot with U.S. history, uh, but think back to right before uh, the Civil War, uh, as America was expanding west, uh, they had, you know, the, the states uh, trying to decide whether to be free or slave uh, in order to keep the balance in Congress. And one of the big things was, well, popular sovereignty. Let the states decide. And specifically, let the people of the states decide. Everything's supposed to flow through us. All right, oligarchy versus monarchy. Uh, hopefully, it's pretty simple for you. An oligarchy has group rule. Monarchy has one person. All right, the federal system of government. So the federal system of government is what we live in, and it is going to be where there is a shared power amongst the governments. So if you think about our system, we have um, the national government up in Washington, D.C., and they have power. They have authority. They can make rules, laws, and we have to follow. Then we go to the states. The states have power and authority over us. They make rules and laws that we have to follow. We can go further down to the counties and the cities uh, and all that kind of stuff, but we're going to stop with just the federal government versus the state. But federalism, federal system of government, is just the sharing of power, the division of power between um different levels of government, all righty? Now, on the review, you've got Australia has a federal government. That's because Australia uh, is an example on one of the questions for your test. So just know there's there's some real-life examples like that uh, on uh, the test, okay? All right, I think that is it. Uh, if you have questions before you take the test, you can always reach out to me by email. Uh, I think you can respond on Parent Square. I'm not sure, but I did sign. You did sign up for Talking Points, so you can hopefully you did. Uh, you can text me there, and I will respond um, to your questions. Uh, you can. I think you can ask questions at somewhere on this podcast, but I don't always get those questions until it's too late because it does. There's a. It does. There's a delay, so I don't see them all the time. And since you're listening to this the day of or the night before uh, the test, you, I might not get your question. Uh, anyways, best of luck on the test. Uh, stay warm, stay safe out there, uh, and I'll see you for the test on Wednesday the 17th. All right, guys, take care. Bye-bye.